0: Welcome to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information about our church and service times, please visit revival.me. Enjoy the message. Looking at the the story of the prodigal son um, and the other two parables, but we're going to focus on the prodigal son. In light of the historical context, of the Near East of that time in the first century, but also we're gonna be looking and contrasting. Who was here last week? Raise your hand up if you are here last week. And we talked about how Jesus is telling a parable that is connected to the story of Jacob from Genesis chapter 27 to 36. So if you're here last week, you remember that. If you weren't, you can uh, check out our uh, whether you go on Spotify or YouTube channel or Facebook Archive and listen to the message. Um, But I encourage you to check it out. There's all these parallels. There's over 50 parallels to Jacob and then the story of the prodigal son. It's amazing. Both stories have a patriarch. Both stories have two sons. Both stories the younger son decided to take his inheritance with an underhanded means. In both stories, the younger son takes off in the far country. both stories, the older son stays home and mad. How many can say there's already a lot of parallels? And I've got 10 times more. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to just read a few here again just to recap. both stories, in the far country, there's a reversal of wealth. Well, with Jacob, he goes from poor to rich. The prodigal, he goes from rich to poor. Jesus reversed the dramatic theme. In both stories, uh, the ones in the far country decide to come home. On Jacob's way home, Laban says, all that is yours is mine. And the story that Jesus tells, the father says to the older son, all that is mine is yours. In both stories, Jacob and the prodigal come back from the far country. There's a divine encounter scene where Jacob encounters an angel, the prodigal encounters his father. And there's body contact in this encounter. With Jacob, it's a wrestling match. With the prodigal, it's an embrace of his father. Last week, we talked about how Old covenant striving Will lead us into places of prayer where we're wrestling with God when we need to start with getting an embrace from the Father. And there's this whole concept of striving in in our lives. I mean, and today we're going to talk about the striving um, of the prodigal son as the honest sinner, or as the one that didn't deserve love because he wasted his inheritance, so he had to try to earn it. How many know that our whole entire lives, and even in the practical sense, is based upon an economy of exchange? Like, I I think most everyone here is either retired or working, and you have a job. Anybody remember their first job? I remember one of my first jobs. I, I held a sign out on the corner in the hot Las Vegas sun that said, pizza, 50 cents a slice. That was my first job. And I made like $3 an hour. It, had, it couldn't have been legal. It was like child slavery, like I, $3 an hour. I don't even remember the paycheck. I don't, I don't think they paid me, maybe, I don't know. Um, but I, I'm kidding. That was one of my first jobs. How many know though, like there's this whole concept of earning and, you, and you, it's like an exchange of your time and talent and, and like you have ta- time, you have talents, you, and things that you, and so there's this whole economy of exchange and, and we live that way also in our spiritual life. I remember getting an upgrade of a job, and uh, and then I started working with my dad. I started working with him for a company that did fiber optics in some of the fanciest, some of the coolest suites at the Caesars Palace. How many have ever stayed at the Caesars Palace? Anybody ever stayed there? It's one of the most, like, it's been there for a long time. It has a lot of continuity and... Um, but they have these suites, and some of these suites, they have a whole lit up ceiling that looks like stars. And they actually, this company that worked for Caesars, that I worked for, I was nine years old. Actually, I think this was my first job, technically, because I was older with the, the pizza sign. I was nine years old, and I remember they, they mapped out this whole ceiling with the stars the same as it was at the time of like Herod. And they literally, and so my job as a nine-year-old, you think, well, what is a nine-year-old doing working for a company like that? They needed someone to crawl in the tiny holes and feed the fiber optic lines to it. That was me. I made nine bucks an hour. I was like 10. Isn't that great? God's favor. And then I downgraded to the pizza. I reversed it, sorry. And uh, I got it mixed up in my head. But you think about all the jobs you've had. You think about, but here's what happens. We do it in our relationship with one another, right? We have to earn each other's love. We have to earn each other because we've grown up like that and we may have even been on the other side of that and lived in a way where someone who relates to us has to earn our affection or our love. And then, and then it translates to our relationship with God. Of course we gotta earn because we've all blown it. We've all messed up, can't earn and we try to pay back somehow even though we believe in grace. But we still, and, we, and I'm, we're going to look at this story and look how Jesus completely undoes this line of thinking that the son had to do something, even repent, before he received the father's love. Jesus tells this parable, and they all know the correlation with Jacob. In fact, he was retelling the story with a new paradigm. And my prayer is, as we look through this, that we see how Jesus flipped the script because he chose one of the most foundational stories that gave the community their very name, Israel. Jacob means Israel, was turned into Israel, and their very identity. And we, got, we talked about Old Covenant striving, but now we're gonna talk about the striving of the prodigal, the honest sinner. You know, it's important that we, under, we understand the text in the first century context. So I'm gonna go through, I'm just gonna read And we're gonna unpack some of these verses and some of these things that we don't realize, we just skip by, but then we also don't understand the context and how powerful it was when Jesus was telling this. Now, it's important to remember that it started with the Pharisees and the scribes complaining to Jesus that he received sinners and he ate with them. They're like, why do you receive sinners? and you eat with them. They were questioning the way he viewed sin. And we're going to see in this parable that he answers some of those questions. And he actually uh, makes the chasm even wider. And, and it's just really profound in how that impacts us. Let's start reading uh, Luke chapter 15. And we're going to just read... From verse 11, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed into a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. In the first century, if I were to go in the Near East culture to my dad that was alive and that had an inheritance for me, and I were to say, I want my inheritance now. And then he'd have to sell a portion of the farm. It says it took some time. And then give that to me. That that would be equivalent to me walking up to my earthly father that loves me. And I'd say, Dad, you're as good as dead to me. I want my inheritance now. Now, this is important for us to understand because what the son did wasn't just like, okay, I know you have money in your savings and you're gonna hand it to me someday. Well, I want it now. Is that okay? And the dad's like, oh, I guess so, reluctantly. And then the guy just blows it. No, this this was like something that the entire community would look at this young man, this prodigal son, and look at him in a very negative light for what he did. So it would be equivalent to saying, you're dead to me. Now he goes on, it says he wastes. Now we know the story. He gets hungry, right? How many know he goes to a far country and, he, and he, it says that he's now feeding pigs. So that actually means, how many know that good Jewish boys, they don't eat pork, right? Anybody in here don't eat pork? You're missing out on some ribs. Come on, I might be praying for you. So bacon is the new covenant breakfast. Come on, somebody. so he's not only in a Gentile land, But he joins himself to a citizen. So there's an intimacy that he has with the world. So Jesus is being ridiculed for eating with sinners. And then Jesus tells a story about a guy who spends his father's inheritance, says, you're as good as dead to me. Now he's joined in a Gentile land. It's even worse. And he's feeding pigs and he's so hungry. He wishes he'd be able to eat the pig food, but it's not made for his stomach. Jesus is, in fact, painting a story here that he says, no, the sin problem, it's way worse than you think. And we're going to look at how this unfolds here. The son says to himself, the Bible says this, he came to his senses. How many are familiar with that term? The son wasted the inheritance, and the whole point is he's trying to earn the father's forgiveness and love. There's something about this concept of earning and how we, even in our relationship with the Lord, like we don't overtly do it, but we still think this way. I remember years ago, my, my wife was teaching a Bible study long before we planted a church. It was an awesome Bible study of women. They would get together and uh, I loved just empowering my wife like, oh man, do this, do it, honey, teach and, and she's anointed for it. And there was this one morning, uh, we're sitting outside the coffee shop and she's about to go in and teach. And she's sitting in there and she's like, oh, I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I'm so discouraged. Like, I didn't really prepare as much as I should have. I didn't read. I didn't really spend a lot of time in prayer. And I'm like, honey, I'm like, don't be hard on yourself. Like, God, you're anointed. You know, we're talking about it. And then I look at her and I said, Rochelle, God is faithful. And that phrase, I said, honey, every time you speak, God fills your mouth. You don't have to earn the ability to do what you do because it's who you are. You don't have to earn the Father's love. Now, it's obviously good to spend time in prayer, spend time in the Word. But how many know that that's not what causes God's grace to flow in a greater way? It's our heart yielded to Him. Matter of fact, sometimes because we're doing this thing where we're trying to earn it, and it's like this, this religious brownie point system in our minds. God moves greater when you do less of all that stuff. If we're doing it, not just you, you and I, we, we do it in a religious mindset. I told the story last week that I stopped fasting. I would stopped fasting because I'd fast and pray and nothing would happen. I would fast and pray. I'm like, God, you're not moving. What's going on? And God's like, why don't you start feasting on me? instead of fasting. And then I would just spend time in prayer, you know, and, and, I, and I would just, I wouldn't overthink things. And then God would just suddenly move. It was like a suddenly. I'm like, God, how come you move when I didn't fast? He's like, because you did it with re- a religious mindset. And I learned that if I'm doing things on the hamster wheel of religiosity, I don't accomplish anything. And I remember sitting with my wife And I said, honey, God is faithful. There are truths of his nature, of his word. When we grab a hold of him, it will change the way we think and we shift. We can shift from striving to receiving his love. We can shift from wrestling with God to receiving a father's embrace. And God used her that morning. She preached to the ladies and he always uses her. And to this day, when she's preparing a message for any conference or Sunday morning, she remembers that God is faithful. How many know God the Father? He is constant. We don't have to worry that someday God's going to wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, he don't sleep or slumber, so that's good, right? God is in a good mood and he does not change. And he's way more loving than you realize. And, and listen, that doesn't mean he's tolerant or totally affirming of lifestyles of sin. It means even the opposite, that he's fiercely after us to change and transform us. But God is not like this. He's not like us. He didn't, you did know, get up in a bad mood. Does anyone ever get up in a bad mood? Probably not you. You guys are all saved. I get up in bad mood sometimes. I'll just be honest with you. I'll just, we're in church. Let me keep it real, the honest sinner. Sometimes I get up and everything annoys me. Am I the only one? Is there such thing as PMS for men? I think there is. I don't know. I don't know what it's called. Jerk, being a jerk. I don't know. Everything's annoying. God doesn't do that. He's good and constant and faithful. And this is what we see in the story. But the prodigal son wasted his inheritance, committed an act of disgrace, and then he decides to, the Bible says he came to his senses. Now, a lot of times we look at that and we think, well, he's repenting. It's not what it says. He didn't say that. Actually, the only other time that phrase is in Scripture is in Acts chapter 12, when Peter realizes the dream he had was from God. It was like an angel visited him, and you can look it up, read it in Acts chapter 12. But Jesus is telling this story, and he never one time uses the word for repentance in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word for repentance means to return, to return to the Lord. The word return is not used in the entire parable. Now let's take a look at this because this is important to us because we still have a value system of, well, I've gotta pray all the right prayers. We Remember last week we talked about the formulas versus faith? We have all these formulas in our religiosity. And God's like, just get rid of that and just learn to trust, trust and rest in who I say I am. We look through and here's, this is powerful. So the, the, the prodigal son's like, all right, I'm gonna go home to my father. Why did he want to go home? He was hungry. (laughs) He wanted to eat. That's what the Bible says. I'm hungry. My father's servants live better than this. I'm going home. I'm going to try to make things right. And he has a monologue. It's a pre-rehearsed speech that he's going to give his father. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. That's the first thing. Number one. Second thing he says is, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Well, that's true. He's a jerk. He left. He said, dad, you're dead to me. Then the last thing, what was the last thing you guys remember? Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, his dad probably had servants that were unhired, and then he had servants that were hired. So he's like, I don't want to just be a servant, I want to be a hired servant. I got to work this debt off. I've got to earn my place back in the Father's house. And what's powerful though is we look at this, and one of the phrases he says, I've sinned against God against heaven and against you. You know, that's, that's in another place in the Bible. And it was Pharaoh after the ninth plague where Pharaoh comes up to Moses and Aaron and he's buttering them up and he's like, hey, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Can you just stop these plagues? How many know Pharaoh was not repenting? He was buttering up the man of God to get rid of the plagues. Sometimes in our prayers, we're trying to butter up God to change our circumstance. That's not what God wants. The prodigal was starving, and he was going through the motions in order not to starve to death. We got to make sure that our Christian life is not, I'm hungry, and I'm even the way we hunger for God. We hunger for God like orphans. God, I'm so desperate for you. Ah. Wait a minute. Jesus said he's the bread of life. So let's feast on him. We pray these prayers that God already answered. God, would you be with me? He lives inside of you. He can't get any closer than that. God, don't please don't leave me. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Stop praying stupid religious prayers that God already answered. Get off the hamster wheel. I gotta earn the Father's love. I gotta, I gotta pray. I gotta, yeah, I pray. But just, it's about relationship. It's about oneness. And even the prodigal son didn't realize it wasn't just about his sin, it was about a father's broken heart. It was about the broken relationship. And Jesus flipped this thing on its head. Even by saying the prodigal son had this monologue ready, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. Well, that's what Pharaoh said to Moses. We all know he wasn't repenting. And they were questioning Jesus' doctrine of sin. And Jesus is like, it's way worse than you think, guys. You think the chasm is just, oh, yeah, i got to keep the law and you, you, everything's going to be fine. No, no, that, none of that. That ain't going to work. That, that's, that's just going to bring forth mo- more sin. How many know, Right. Sin is so serious, it's like a young Jewish boy that tells his father, drop dead. Then insists that he get his share of the family farm. He sells it with his dad in good health standing on it. He goes to the far country among the Gentiles, loses the money, ends up feeding the pigs. He falls so low, he wanted to eat pig food. So what was the son gonna do? He was gonna go home, work hard, save his money, and pay the money back. And that's probably what the hearers of this parable thought in this moment. They thought, well, he's going to come back and say this. So he has this pre-rehearsed prayer. But here's what happened. They expected the son to do that. And what would really happen in that culture, which is interesting because I think we still do this in different ways. We just do it online. We scapegoat. We scapegoat a president we don't like. Both left and right. Come on, somebody we we'll scapegoat leaders we will scapegoat pastors we don't like it's a scapegoat mechanism mimetically we just it's like oh it's this is and we think that we're unified but it's actually satanic unity because we're scapegoating somebody it's not the unity of heart that comes from the love of god But in this time, in this culture, when the son did what he did and he came home, he would be met by a mob in this community. How dare you come back to this community after you did what you did? It didn't just affect his relationship with his father. It affected his relationship with everybody. You see it later with the brother, with the big brother. One of the reasons he said kill the fatted calf was to unite not just the family, but the community. A fatted calf will feed a lot of people. It wasn't just for the father and the sons. Hello? I don't think they ate that much. That's a lot of steak, man. (laughs) Sounds good, but it was for everyone else. Why? Because when your relationship with God gets right, your relationship with people changes. So what happened was the son comes back and instead, Jesus is telling the story, and they probably expected that. So the son would be met with a mob. They would actually cast him out. There was actually a ceremony. they they break a pot. This is real cultural stuff. And then they would cast him out of the the, the town. Say, you cannot be a part. What you did was totally disgraceful. And then maybe a few days later, he would be allowed back in, come to his father's footsteps, and then do the monologue. I'm not worthy to be your son. I've sinned against heaven against you. Make me like one of your hired servants. But here's what Jesus said. And there's a connection to all three of these stories. The lost coin, the woman loses a coin and what does she do? She doesn't sit around and wait for it to appear. She searches for it diligently because it's worthy of being pursued because it has value, just like you and I. The lost sheep, he leaves the 99 and goes, worthy of being pursued because it had value. And then the son, we always think, well, the son came home. The father ran when he saw him afar off. So Jesus begins to tell us the rest of the story in a new paradigm, in a new light. And what happened was, and we see the same phrase in the Old Testament with Jacob. He ran, fell upon his neck, and kissed him. Now check this out. When he saw the son from afar off, you can read it in verse 20, it says the father ran, fell upon his neck, and kissed him. How many know the son had not uttered one word yet? Not one religious prayer. (laughs) Didn't even pray the sinner's prayer yet. Hello? Well, I got to ask Jesus in my heart. Yeah, I believe in the sinner's prayer. Confess with mouth Jesus, Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. But you don't call upon him unless he moves you. It's God's kindness. It's his goodness that leads you to repentance. Where I was thinking, oh, well, the prodigal son, he got it right. He repented. He didn't say one word. He was still afar off. And the father ran and pursued him before he said anything. That's that's our Papa. Even when we do really dumb things, he chases after us with an undaunting love. Man, if we learn of his love, we could really win the lost. Because we're still trying to do the economy of exchange. We're still trying to do the earn thing we do in our relationships. We do in our marriages. Come on, somebody. Got to earn my love. Got to earn my affection. Well, I'm going to withdraw. If you're mean to me, I'm just going to withdraw. Rochelle, you were rude to me. I'm not going to hug you for two whole days. We don't do that. We kiss a lot. Okay, sorry. Come on, somebody. The father poured costly love upon the son. Oh, man, the love a father has for his sons. Think about my own dad, I've always said this, that if I could be half the man he is, I could raise 10,000 sons. My father is a constant. I think about my parents, it's so full of love for me. Think the love of a mom and a dad is a drop in the bucket compared to the love that he has for you and I, the father's love. Think about my spiritual father, Larry Titus, that I didn't have to prove myself to be this man of God. He saw me. I wasn't invisible. He saw me when no one else did. And I got my, I realized I was significant apart from my gift, my platform, my title as a pastor. He pursued me and he invested in me because that's what Papas do. There's something about the Father's love that changes everything and the Father ran. How many know in the first century, you ever watched Jesus movies? Anybody watch Jesus movies? Come on, somebody. They wore robes. They literally wore robes. You see it in John 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, they wore a robe. Well, in that time, older men, they were respectable. They walked astutely with honor and dignity. They didn't run. Old men did not run. When Jesus says the father ran, they're like, what? This is weird. Now, the little kids did. They had robes, too. You can't run with the big robe. So what do you have to do? You have to lift it up. And if you lift it up, they weren't kilts, Irish kilts with nothing under there. Come on, somebody. They had undergarments. So the kids would lift their robes up, and they'd run around and play. And they were in their underwear. They're little kids. But the father has to lift his robe and possibly show his underwear and be a disgrace To show how much he loved the son? The father running was a complete, like, out of the box, what? The father forgave him? The father met him before the mob met him? And said, this is my son. If I'm kissing him, you've got to kiss him with forgiveness. Imagine how it would change the way we see broken people. If he doesn't hold their trespasses against them, 2 Corinthians chapter five, why do we? When his heart is forgiveness, they have to receive it, right? There has to be repentance, restoration, reconciliation. That's, That's important. Repentance is important. But how many know like the father, his disposition is love. So the son receives this costly love before he says one thing. He ran, he ran. He can't run in a robe. You know, Jacob returned with gifts for the family. The son had nothing. We have nothing when we come to God. We have nothing. And he still pursues us down the prodigal road. He still loves us with unfathomable love. The issue wasn't the money. It was the father's broken heart. And the son had something to say, but he falls short. How many know that he started talking after this, right? What did he say? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven and against earth, against you. And then the third thing he had to say, something happened. The father spoke. The third thing, you remember what it was? Make me like one of your hired servants. We always pass this up. We don't realize the monologue didn't make the dialogue with the father. His little pre-rehearsed prayer didn't make the actual play, didn't make what he actually said. He said, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Before the words could come out of his mouth, make me like one of your hired servants. The father spoke. Oh, my God, this is so good. And so he does over us. He makes a distinction, and he says... You're not just a servant. You're my beloved son and daughter. Oh my gosh. Lori, this word, man, I'm just, we can never outgrow our need for the Father's love. I can never outgrow my need for the Father's love as a pastor or a leader. No matter if I have 5,000 sons, I can never outgrow my need for the Father's love. The Father interrupted and made a distinction in the prodigal striving for love. He told his servants, go get that robe. Servants, this is my son. The best robe, that's mine. The Father's robe. Put the ring. Matter of fact, he don't have to earn the money. The signet ring was used to like sign with the bank. You, you had authority. So he, he, his account went from overdraft to full. That's how generous the Lord is to us, man. It's amazing. He took our sin overdraft account and He poured His love upon us. Come on. He shed His blood and His broken body, undoing it forever, covering us and saying, no, you're forgiven. I nailed that to the cross. In fact, the accuser of the brethren now has to shut His mouth. He has been disarmed. Come on. Every principality and power, any accusation, any lie from the past that says, you're not worthy. Any lie from the past that says, you've got to earn your way back up into the Father's house. I break it now. Any lie from the past that says you got to strive for his love. There's no striving when it comes to the love of God, it's who he is, it's who he is. And it ended with a feast. you remember how the question started in verse 1 and 2? They're like, Jesus, why do you eat with sinners? And then he painted this picture of a really, really bad sinner, which we all are. And then he painted this picture of even way... you, You think sin's bad? No, sin's way worse than you think. Or you think God's loving? Oh, yeah, he's merciful. We know this. We know the law. No, he's way more loving than you could realize. The chasm's way... And he put an end to it. And then the father puts on a feast for his Son. You think eating with sinners is, is out there? Check this story out. And it's a comparison and a parallel to the story that they knew with Jacob, which they got their very identity and name from. It's a new paradigm. It's a paradigm with no more striving. What if our prayers were like that? Jesus says, when you pray, don't, don't just flap your jaws, come on. Don't blow a shofar and then, hey guys, I'm about to pray. Shh, it's my turn. Whole pre-rehearsed religious prayer. God most high, lovely one, we honor thee. <laughs> That's religious garbage. Amen. Jesus straight up said, don't be like the hypocrites. Amen. It's not a play. Then yeah. he said, and don't be like the Gentiles. Don't, don't be like those sinners, the worldly where they think they're going to be heard with over and over the oh God long titles God Most High Creator of heaven and earth the only beloved one who made the earth and stars and sky and divine favor one omnipotent omniscient omnipotent omnipresent one Jesus is like cut it out and matter of fact here's how you pray Father yeah. 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 Father Don't pray wrestling with God. I got to grab the horns on the altar. and Stop that striving. Start with an embrace from your Abba. I'm going to have an altar call and I'm going to repent right here. I'm going to, man, the father's love is so good. He didn't say a word. We don't have to strive. The honest sinner doesn't need to earn the father's love. He's constant. In closing, I'm going to tell you a real quick story. We love hiking, and my whole family, we went to Sedona, Arizona, and uh, we uh, we go on this hike, and there's this beautiful place where there's a stream of water, and streams of water are very valuable in the desert. Can you say amen? And um, we're excited about going on this hike. And we park, and the stream's actually supposed to be really close. We've never been to this hike, so we're not sure. But we're walking up, and we're on one of the paths. And, and, uh, and we asked these two, we We're walking for a couple minutes, these two young men that were walking by. And we're like, hey, where's the stream from here? Like, how do you get there? Is it, oh, they're like, oh, it's close. It's about 10 minutes. And then they point to the trail. They're like, oh, 10 minutes that way. And we're like, oh, cool, thanks. Nice young men, oh. Praise God. It's nice to run into some nice young men, you know? Um, And then we look back, I think my son and I noticed, and they were snickering after that. I'm like, what? And they're like (laughs) So we went the direction they told us, we trusted it. And so my wife and I were walking, and we're like, it's been 10 minutes. I'm like, there's no stream. And all I see is up, down, and desert, and snakes and all kinds of stuff. And Layla, at the time, was like four. And she's leading the pack, right? And she's running barefoot on a desert trail, leading the pack. We end up walking, of course, I'm the husband. There's a little gender war that goes on between directions, women, men, right, come on. And then there comes a time, men, husbands, you just have to yield to the bride. It's okay, baby, which way, which way should we go, right? So my wife's like, honey, I don't think we're going the right way. I'm like, yeah, they said it was this way. We're going this way. Stubborn, I'm stubborn. We keep going, we end up walking, I think probably three, four miles. Then we finally, I finally yielded to my beautiful bride. We turned around, went the other direction. Come to find out we were on the path, but we were on the path of striving. We were on the wrong path that didn't lead lead to the stream, to the place of refreshing, the place that we longed for. Matter of fact, when we first walked up and saw those two young men, and they're like, oh yeah, go this way. They weren't telling the truth actually the stream was probably a minute and a half walk from right where we were at that place isn't it a perfect picture of how sometimes we're on the path but it's the wrong path and we're striving and we're striving and we're not refreshed and we're getting burnt out. listen I'm telling you we can be free and we can learn to just receive the Father's embrace and live in that place and be planted by the waters like the Scripture says. And you know what happens? We bear fruit 12 months out of the year. There's just fruitfulness and fruitfulness and fruitfulness because we don't have to strive or earn God's love. Can you say amen? I want to close with two verses I'm just going to read out loud to you. In Hosea 11, God says this, and this is what we see in the picture of the prodigal son coming home. The father turned his anger into radical, fiery love because the wrath of God is an extension of his love. The wrath of God is a fiery love because God is love that says no to what hurts us and harms us. It's his emphatic no against sin. God's wrath is against sin, not his sons and daughters. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He's madly in love with you. He's willing to go and do whatever it takes and he he did through Jesus and here's what it says I will not execute my fierce anger I will not destroy Ephraim again for I am God not man the Holy One in your midst I will not come in wrath that's what he said and he's talking in the context about being a father Titus chapter 3 this is so good verse 4 but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared not by works of righteousness which we've done but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing regeneration renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Can you say amen? Would you stand up with me? I want to just pray, and then we're going to dismiss you. Are you glad you came to church today? Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I just want to right now, I'm just going to open the altars up. If you just want to come worship up here and we'll have our prayer team, I'm going to open the altars up. If you just want to receive the Father's embrace, maybe you feel like mindsets need to be broken. Uh, of striving and, and all this stuff I want you to just come if you just want to rest in the father's love just come down you can kneel before the lord whatever you want I'm just going to open the altars up but would you lift your hands and pray with me and come on begin to thank God for his love and what he's doing in our midst father thank you for what you're doing thank you for the radical love of the father would you just completely wreck and crash into the distorted images that we have of you And through the Scripture and through what You have revealed, Lord Jesus, the revelation of the Father's love, we just thank You. We thank You, God, that it shifts everything in our life. And we stop striving and trying to earn Your love, but we just receive it. And now that we receive it, we can actually give it away. When we let You love us, we actually... Love ourselves and love others the way we were designed to. We love our neighbor as ourself. We just thank you for that overflow of love. I thank you for those that are up here right now. I just pray for waves of the Father's love to crash in right now. Come on, saints. Would you lift your voices and pray just just for a moment, Father? I release right now. Let them hear. Let us hear the voice of the Father interrupt these orphan mindsets. These phrases make the distinction you are his beloved daughters you are his beloved sons hear the voice of the father over you would you just come our prayer team and just lay hands on those that are up here right now you are his beloved children we release that truth over your life receive the father's embrace I break the the lies. I break even the lie that you there's like a curse. There's no generational curse in Jesus. There's generational blessings in Jesus. So Father, I thank you right now for freedom. And I thank you for the radical fiery love of the Father. Just touching, touching, touching. Blessing, blessing, blessing. <laughs> there's no striving in his love. No striving in his love. No more striving. Jesus name we pray Hi Pastor Zach here at Encounter Church in Rochester New York hope you were blessed by that message and we want to give you an opportunity to sow into the ministry if you'd like to if you would just go to revival.me and click on the button that says give thanks again and have a blessed blessed day